Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Welcome to Stories or Soul Food. <laughs> Episode 24. 24, double dozen. Two dozens. Here we are, and both uh, of the dozens. You know, it's pretty cool. 24 episodes is not few. It shows that we have follow through. Yeah. <laughs> the swish is coming. <laughs> Unlike Gonzaga. When, oh gosh. When will we wither and die on the vine? <laughs> <laughs> not in the first 24 episodes, that's for sure. Yep. Sometime. We are too many someday. donuts for one family to eat right now. <laughs> Not my family. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So we're talking today. We're following up to our last conversation about mm -hmm. the, not the space trilogy, the first volume only. We didn't dabble at all. Right. Moving forward. And I think we established beyond a shadow of a doubt that it should always be referred to as the space trilogy. It is not the cosmic trilogy. It is not anything other than the space trilogy. That's probably how we should start every episode from now on. <laughs> from now on. So anybody who- Let's get Jake to record that as, a, as an extra bumper. to the Stories of Soul Food podcast where the space trilogy is referred to as the space trilogy. But yes, book two. Book two of the space trilogy. Not talking about Nate's favorite book. Yet. Yet. Not yet. Nor are we talking about the one that came before. No, we're, we're dropping in on volume two. Which I did with Paralandra. Paralandra, which I also found out was republished and retitled Voyage to Venus at some point. Which yeah, I have a, I actually have a old covers framed in my office from like American dime store versions of this trilogy. Called and so, Voyage to Venus? Uh, yeah, you've got the Tortured Planet was also a different take. Paralandra, World of the New Temptation. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate, I knew. I guess. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, on the nose, on the green nose. So if the first book is about a voyage to Mars, this one's about a voyage to Venus, but it's, uh, can I say something that, well, I have a feeling you may not like. Do it. Okay. It seems to me that we don't like Paralandra because uh, of its fictional aspects, and we like Paralandra because of its allegorical aspects, and hence Paralandra is not a very good novel. Interesting. I guess I would lump Paralandra. So is it a good something? Yeah, I'd say it's something like, we'll see, this, this is how I compare it. It's more like The Great Divorce than it is yeah. like any of Lewis's other work. So it's a category question. Right. So is it bad? No. Is it a great novel? I don't think so. Yeah. But does it do what Lewis wanted it to? Yes. It most certainly does. So. So what, okay, yeah, that's, that's great. Let's, let's break that down. Where does he want to take this one? Because he clearly, like you told us last time, Lewis wanted to retake his theme or the theme stated in his first book and rework it in a way that demonstrated the courage of his convictions. I think you mentioned that quote. Yeah, the, of the three critics who realized that he was getting some of his typology and themes and you know, his worldview from something other than his own imagination with Out of the Silent Planet, that one of them commented that he, he lacked conviction. <laughs> and so 
Uh, this is him proving he does not lack conviction. <laughs> and <laughs> also, his, this is him ringing the bell, you know, where it's the first novel was built on the framework of the fall. It was built on the around the mythology of Genesis, around the creation of the planets and the garden and this planet that has been banished from the great dance, from the music of the spheres, the one on which we live. So the one ruled by the bent one. So he was pulling in as in a buried architectural way, the bones of the Eden story. Yeah. You know, the bones of temptation and fall and consequences of that temptation and fall. He also was playing around with the idea of a garden, you know, invaded. So a garden invaded. And that's kind of what you have with Malacandra in uh, the first book. So, which makes sense because Mars is the war, the Marshall planet. Yeah. And, and so you, but you have Ransom is part of the invasion. They, man is arriving in Mars in the role of serpent in the first book. And so what he does is he, he sort of flips and becomes more overt, like more clearly overt right. with Paralandra. Like, okay, so people didn't pick up on this. There's this garden world that's within the kind of the, within the blast radius of the fall already. You know, there, there's some damage done just from having been near to us and our fall. But he takes for, he assumes the Garden of Eden. He assumes the fall. He assumes all those things. And then he duplicates it artistically with man in the role as seed of the serpent arriving in the garden of mars and right you know bringing destruction so in a much less veiled diabolical presence with book two ransom divine and weston do this in mars people missed it book two it's like fine <laughs> <laughs> you missed the fact that you missed this was it diabolical. because i was sneaky with these weird like alien races and so now right. guess what it's people they're straight up people there is a a mother and a father of a race. There's, yep. there's not a huge population. There are animals ruled by them. There's a king and a queen. Okay, you get it? Right. There's a garden. And the, the queen is by herself. Yeah. Un alone in the garden. Alone in the garden. <laughs> and so the queen is alone in the garden. And Weston and Ransom show up and uh, Ransom gets stuck in a glass coffin and shipped, basically. Yeah. And so it arrives sunburned and in the nude. Because clothes are unnecessary. Yeah, clothes are unnecessary in the garden because you don't want to taint an unfallen world with such things. Right. All of these themes are so scriptural. Yeah. So he arrived sunburned on half half of his body because he had one oh, side yeah. one side to the sun the He's whole way. So it's called piebald the whole time. I hope all of you did your homework and read the first book before listening to this one. But if you didn't, that's still okay. Right. And so he arrives. And what do we have? We have an explicit Garden of Eden uh, scenario. It's no longer just typologically the invasion of the seed of the serpent invading a garden, the Garden of Mars. It is now Weston and Ransom. Ransom being sent to save, to intervene, to actually save this planet from the same fate that our own planet experienced. And so you have an Adam and an Eve who are nobility and, you know, the first king and the queen, but without, a, without children yet, without having populated the world or ruled it. And then you have a devil. So we have Weston the devil, and we have all this unman stuff. And so we have a tempter who shows up and tries to deceive, 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 deceive. Right. Uh, the queen, Eve. And we've got the rules. Yeah. You know, she has some very basic rules. Yep. The people have to live on the water, not on the fixed land. They may not, they may not live on 
the solid ground. They have to live on floating islands. And this is much like the Adam and Eve story. This is not a permanent situation. This is like for now. Yeah. You know, this is a thing they could grow into. But for now, they must be Which you see at the end of the book. Yep. Uh, For now, they must be on these floating islands. Ransom shows up and basically the story follows a lot of philosophical debate, theological debate and discussion about obedience and faithfulness, righteousness, etc. But the big reveal, to spoil it, that is fantastic and interesting, the big reveal is Ransom's discovery that he needs to stop talking. Yeah. It's like, this is dumb. Because he's a linguist, remember? He's very comfortable with talking. And so he's trying to win an argument with the devil, with a man who is insinuated in the book and like becomes clear, 100% possessed. He's a man possessed by Satan himself. Right. So we have, you know, this, this demon possession and this deceiver working to destroy another garden, another Eve. And he's the man sent to intervene. And in his intervention, he tries to be an intellectual. He tries to be a rationalist. He tries to do it with reason and is just progressively more and more frustrated. So Lewis in this book has some towering moments of genius uh, in his study of evil and the nature of evil, the childishness of evil, the pettiness of evil. Yeah. It's a great read. It's a fantastic read. It's full of wisdom. And I think the most key piece of wisdom is sometimes you just need to smash its head. Yeah. Like stop trying to convince the devil otherwise and just smash its head. And you do get this, there's a great sense of dread in the book as Ransom's arguments are not working on the green lady or she doesn't understand the concept of evil. So she's not afraid of the unman like we all are. Yeah, she doesn't understand what the the true stakes are. Right. And he wants to convince her and convince Weston, you know, as Weston is ripping these frogs apart. Yeah, Um, so Weston is doing things like digging his fingernails into the backs of little frogs and stuff and just being gross, you know, just being petty and gross in his demonicness. And so what we have is this dialogue that's interesting, but the situation that Ransom is kind of in the role of Adam, you know, in in a weird way. Like if he showed up, if Adam showed up while Satan had been tempting Eve in the garden, should Adam have debated the serpent a debated with the serpent yeah b, b uh complained about yeah. the serpent <laughs> been claimed victimhood right uh from having had a serpent enter his perfect garden or c fought the serpent and so ransom slowly sheds his rationalism and so his character journey is one of realizing that uh his intellect and reason are not his true defenses hmm and that's like these, this, and so this, the whole theme of the trilogy around scientism and the intellect, that's kind of how it plays in the most in this particular book. So we don't have, we have a scientist who's here and he's here to pollute and dominate and destroy, but it's not scientism the way we see it in Out of the Silent Planet or in That Hideous Strength. In Paralandra, it's the mind. The mind is not your defense. Uh, reason, intellectualism is no defense against scientism, the invasion of scientism. Mm. In the end, smash its head. <laughs> I mean, that's just, yeah. that's where it goes. So. And there's a sense in which that doesn't even work to start with, right? Yeah. Because uh, that's when you really see that, you see they get in this huge fight. He thinks he's vanquished Satan and then, and yeah. then sort of anti-resurrection. Yeah, it's like he has to, but he has to, you know, crush this guy's head. Right. He's wounded in the heel. 
Um, yeah, right. You know, everything's so on the nose in right. this book because Lewis was 100% committed to having nobody miss it. And so if, if you were going to miss it with the Adam and Eve characters, are you still going to miss it when he smashes the head and has a bruised heel? Yeah, because doesn't Weston bite his heel and that's something that even is carried into that hideous strength? Yep, yep. Yep. And it's... There's that terrifying part though when the devil revives Weston and then leaves him for a bit and Weston talks about how scary it is to yeah. have, to be absorbed into yep. the greater demonic, yeah. you know, playing with stuff from the screw tape letters. So and, it is, I think, you know, one of those things, I, th I think I've said it before, I don't remember who we had in here though, Jesse was in here, Jess Hall, that I think category fights generally aren't that fruitful. So it's like, is it a novel? Is it not a novel? Like, well, it's a novel. Is it a fantastic and towering novel? Like, well, yes and no, but it is, it is a better piece of allegory. It's a better high level Sunday school story. Yeah. I was going to say it's a lesson. Yeah. So think of what we were saying about Veggie Tales in terms of how they can kind of cheapen the stories. If you retell a Bible story, you can cheapen it. If you're using vegetables, for example, yeah. hypothetically speaking, if, if one was to use vegetables as characters. Not that one would. Not that one would ever do that. But this is an example of how you can heighten and elevate a Bible story. So, yeah, okay. So like how, do you, how do you do a study of, like an artistic study of a Bible story, an exploration, a fictional exploration of biblical themes and a biblical scenario? So a retelling that enables the author to dive in and investigate the nature of evil and the nature of possession, nature of temptation, even small stuff, pleasure. I thought, yeah. I think the bubble trees, the, oh, yeah. the, where that discussion of how Ransom wants to have another bubble bath <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then realizes that would be almost, that would be gluttonous yeah. to, to take two bubble baths. You get it's one like a me day. and deviled eggs. <laughs> we recently had Easter and I love deviled eggs a lot they're so, so, they're so, so i consume a fair number <laughs> a fair number of them and then i proceed to never have them again for the rest of the year and so next easter i'm excited yeah like it's if i would if i started telling my wife like i want deviled eggs just around i'm just gonna eat deviled eggs all year long like now the pleasure would be lost pretty quickly <laughs> I mean, just even the thought starts to gross me out. Like, I'm going to have deviled eggs every day. Do you do the spicy deviled eggs or do, do you do dill? Well, I'll do either. I either. will gladly do either. Okay. I mean, deviled means spicy, right? Isn't that the whole point? To, de to devil it is to spice it? I guess that makes sense. Um, I could be wrong, but that's what I well, think. Well, I think means. I think maybe just my Swedish grandmother was against the idea of spicing anything up. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> A pickle. I do like the dill. I, I can enjoy that too. Yeah. Anyway, the point is just like in Barilandra with these bubble trees that are amazingly described, Ransom has to kind of, he's faced with the question of pleasure and joy and perfection. And there's still, there can't just be gluttony. It's not just over scintillation, you know, complete over scintillation. There has to be a rhythm to pleasure. Right. If you have, I recently uh, tasted the best rye of my life. I was like, it is phenomenally amazing. And if I started sipping that little, you know, a little thimble full of this rye every single day, it would, you know. What was it? It's a uh, Boss Hog Magellan. Okay. So it's a Boss Hog 7 Magellan. Nothing like anything I've ever tasted. It's just a very, very unique, fantastic thing. But it's magnificent. And immediately I'm thinking, 
when should I have this again? And I'm like, no, I need to save this. This is this is a marker for something that's wonderful, not just, you know, the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, not just every week. You know, this is not only could I not afford it every week, but it's <laughs> but anyway, that that kind of concept is there. You know, self-restraint as delayed gratification, the timing of gratification as part of the beauty and part of the pleasure. Right. It it seems like that's baked into God's way that we're supposed to approach food and provision from him from manna in the wilderness you get what you need for the day yep and then don't store up extra it's going to go maggoty you wait till tomorrow don't don't worry i will send the maggots for sure it's coming but you have with lewis you have kind of a couple different approaches to storytelling in his overall canon and this kind of slides in between screw tape letters the great divorce and his other novels Paralandra is, you know, skews that direction. He yeah. is, it, it could cheapen it to say it's instructional because it does, it does delight. It absolutely yeah. delights and it's artistically complex and yeah. interesting. If to teach and delight is our yeah. definition for art. And so it's, it absolutely does. It's not just instructional, but it is one of those places where Lewis shows off his powers of observation and the keenness of his wisdom. What he sees about the human condition and about human behavior and human relationships and evil and good and you know the history of the world yeah it feels like it feels like one of his essay books put into this will be a terrible comparison a dialogue a platonic dialogue where you're taking some sort of theory and trying to make it fictional but it's made so much more enfleshed we can feel it much more than you ever feel a platonic dialogue so if we're gonna some people love the film tree of life a lot and other people just cannot stand it yeah uh, because they couldn't get through it this is lewis doing that this is that kind of art i mean artistic meditation yeah you know it's like he really he contemplates he meditates he perceives he describes just goes deeper and deeper there's no sense of hey we have to stick with the pace here right you know it's it's uh yeah there's contemplation there's deep contemplation and then there's movements of plot and there's struggle and there's, there is a, a through thread and there is character development, but the, it, this is hang out with Lewis for a while. This is one of those books where you're not, you're not getting to know the story so much as you are getting to know Lewis and you're getting to know the world by means of his perception and contemplation. You yeah. know, so this is hanging out with an artist with his sketchbook. This is less of going through uh, his finished museum work. You know, this is like watching, watching him contemplate, watching him meditate, watching him work through stuff and, and discover things and reveal things. And it's, it's glorious for that reason. So, so if you compare, this may demonstrate one of the strengths of fiction. If you compare this to one of Lewis's great works of fiction, that might miss some of the points of what, but if you look at then and say, what if we reduce the lesson of this book down to what Nate said at the beginning, you should sometimes your intellect isn't what you need to fight evil. You need to stand up to it with your fists. Yeah. That right there is hard to get a, you don't, you don't have a feeling for when does that apply. Right. But over the course of this novel, you do. He builds, he, he boils you slowly and he, you build up a pressure so that when he, when that action's taken, you discover it, the reader discovers it as Ransom discovers it. And it's sort right. of, you can own that discovery powerfully. And I would say uh, that this is, this is one of Lewis's great works of fiction, but this is not just that traditionally yeah it's not traditionally structured it's not traditionally paced it's a traditional in 
for novels for like right you know for pulp novels which is what he was trying to write this is a traditional yeah um and but it is fiction and it is a great work right and you know so right but should you set out to write stories like this you need to be as experienced as he is and as comfortable as he is just kind of ignoring a lot of the a lot of the protocols a lot of the the actual rules of the of the genre and the form. Well, that's kind of why I started off with that observation because I feel that I've read many book pitches that are trying to do this and yeah. they're too, almost without exception, really poor because it is someone without that sort of insight yet or yeah. or I should say their goal is to teach a lesson, not tell a story and they're unable to do both at yeah. the same time. Whereas Lewis's goal was for, it was a lesson-based goal. But he also yeah. was able to tell a story perfectly with that. Yep. It was also a lesson-based goal for two two people, his main character and himself. Oh, yeah. You know, it's okay. like- he, So that's like, key. That makes an enormous difference. And so he's not thinking like, man, how do I teach a lesson to those morons in America? And then Ransom becomes this puppet that kind of yeah. walks through. Yeah. No, he's- Ransom is learning, Ransom is discovering, and Ransom becomes the character that he is in that hideous strength from the character he was in Out of the Silent Planet. This is that, mm. you know, a big, big transitional piece. But it is also, you know, super unique and limited in scope with no side characters and just like, yeah, it's a, it is a, a, a little boiler room of ingredients, you know, very minimalized right. ingredients and it gets it done. So it does feel like a, a platonic dialogue at different points because there's two characters talking and a third watching. Yeah. You know, it's just this, a lot. And then there's these, you know, picnics and meditations and wanderings and musings and other things and the writing riding those huge friendly fish. Yep. And this and the establishment of the stakes and all this other stuff that happens, the exploration of a world. So it is really, really unique. And it's also super, super simple while being contemplatively very complex. So it's a very, yeah. very complex meal delivered in a very simple uh, vehicle. Think of it as like, this. The, well, I honestly think Pearland is sort of caviar. And if you've had caviar on a little Russian pancake, you know, it's like, whatever they're called, you know, or if you put caviar on toast, that's kind of what this is to me. Is, okay. is like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna toast some bread, put a little cream cheese on it, simple, simple. And then I'm going to put, you know, the row of this ancient sturgeon. Right you know, on my toast and there's, there's going to be, you know, 10,000 eggs of this ancient sea beast. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's a very complex, very, very complex thing that you've just done on a very, very simple vehicle. And I think that's what he's okay. doing. So out of the silent planet is him, his attempt to give you popcorn, like movie popcorn. And he tried to dress it up. He, he was like one of those chefs who's trying to like give you a little like elevation of sea some salt, diner food pink sea salt <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take this diner classic and i'm going to gentrify it he's kind of gentrifying a dime store adventure novel and then everybody missed the gentrification you know the typological gentrification and so this one he's like fine here's the caviar who cares about the toast yeah here it is you're going to enjoy the salt flavor and yeah. the pop of the texture, and that's going to be it. And then leading to the third one, I think it, I think it builds perfectly to the third one as sort of almost an appendix. This is so you have to think of the first two books as one, 
leading up to this third one. If you're going to structure the entire space trilogy, you'd be looking at this as like this significant act two, basically in a screenplay, like page 30 to page 55 is hmm. Paralandra, where they would say delivering on the promise of the premise, the fun and games. So the, the premise being, you know, the Garden of Eden and the nature of creation on the silent planet and the fall and everything else. And then you play with it, you explore it, you push it into the corners in that yeah. section of a screenplay. And that's kind of where this entire novel lives. So, you know, the, okay. the first book yeah. introduces the concept of space travel, the concept of a silent planet, a, a damaged planet that pollutes and taints the rest of the solar system, mankind as the seed of the serpent or the seed of the woman, you know, can be in the faithful line, but is without that is the seed of the serpent. Yeah. And then this is where he learns war. You know, this is where Ransom learns war and becomes who he is later. Yeah. Also, if you think about how daring it was of C.S. Lewis to try and write the redemption of the garden scene. Yeah. I mean, that's such a huge thing. Anybody, I, f I feel like if someone had suggested it in that way, hey, I'm going to rewrite the fall, but this time humanity doesn't fail. Because a human shows up and saves the day. Right. Like how and you bad can't do that with that a, You can't do that with a, a time machine where like, man, if I, what if I went back in time and stopped Eve from eating the fruit? It's like, this is that what if. This is that what yeah. if concept, but applied to a different Eve. So I do love this book. I like this book a lot, but I love more than anything else. I love what it leads to. I love where it's going and what it sets up and establishes, which is the giant thundering crescendo in book three. So if you think of the, the whole trilogy as an orchestra, we're in these middle bits that are lovely. Lots of lovely middle bits, <laughs> but we're yeah. not, you know, we, we don't have thunder in the mountains yet. It, yeah. You know, it's presaging not. what's to come. Yeah. <laughs> presage. <laughs> presaging and dressaging. Oh, Dancing wow. horses and presaging. Extremely large animals being very <laughs> yeah. dainty. Yeah. So it is, I do enjoy it a lot and it is something that is skipped over often. And it's, we mentioned last time, like, don't let your kids try to read this too young. I think that's definitely true for this one. This one is is the thing that is the stopper of small children. <laughs> this, this, yeah. Not just because of the nudity. You're like, wait, what? There's naked people. <laughs> um, should I be reading this? I'm 11. Uh, but because it's so heavy in concept and what it processes. So even for you busy types, busy people, I do recommend an audiobook for this one. I think it's reading it on the page is a joy. Audiobooks are a real pleasure. and gives you the kind of the same experience that Ransom has of listening in hmm. to conversations. And so I think that it's uniquely suited for audiobook. We'll need to try that. Do it. I love it. I love the trilogy. I like this book. It is definitely outside the, uh, the boundaries of the norm yeah. of, what, of what he was going for. I have enough respect for him to assume that that's intentional. Right. You know, I don't want to grade him badly for not doing things in a traditional way when he knew exactly what the traditional way was and he could easily do it. He chose not to. Right. It feels like it's in line of things like Pilgrim's Progress and other, well, and obviously his other work, The Great Divorce. Yeah. I actually, I do think it's very, very Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. It's got that vibe, you know, like you're, you're hanging out with a couple of people who are having a lot of conversations. Right. Bunyan obviously gives us quite a few more people uh, than Lewis does here. But this is one of those things in our edition, eventually when we publish an edition of Paralandra. Uh, it's coming closer to public domain. <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt they'll allow it. 
ever. It'll get renewed. I'm sure. They have. There has to be legal ways how it can get renewed. I know. I. I, uh, I I'm not holding out hope, but yeah. some are coming closer. Yeah. So what's going to happen is we'll publish an addition to Paralandra, and on the back you'll see a blurb that says "Caviar on Toast: The Stories of Soul Food Podcast." <laughs> Episode two dozen. Episode two dozen of Stories of Soul Food claims that Paralandra is quote caviar on toast with cream cheese. Read I, it. Forget listen part. to it. For next week. That's your homework. Yeah. Get through Paralandra so that we can talk thoroughly about that hideous strength, which is where yeah. this is all leading. Yep. So enough for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Stories or Soul Food podcast. If you're someone highly invested in kid fiction and finding the best stories for your kids and you haven't downloaded the Canon app, I want to encourage you to download and subscribe today. You can find things on there such as Christine Cohen's The Winter King, Ethan Nicole's Brave Ollie Possum, Peter Lightheart's Wise Words, a book on Narnia from Douglas Wilson titled What I Learned in Narnia, and much, much more. Download the app today wherever you get your apps and subscribe.